Well, this morning we are starting a new series um, called What Would Jesus Undo? Um, how many of you guys remember, as, man, it, I'm, it was a bit ago, um, probably about 20 years or so ago. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, no, the 90s. You get, anybody remember the 90s? Um, how many of you guys were born in the 90s or later? Yeah, wow. Um, so, sorry, I just had this like little epiphany where I just realized that I could refer to something that was 20 years ago. Um, midlife crisis, um, already been there. Um, okay, sorry. Um, hey, you guys remember the thing, and, and there were bracelets around that said, what would Jesus do? You guys remember these things? And everybody wore these things. Matter of fact, I remember in my high school, there was a guy that was wearing one of these what would Jesus do bracelets. And, and the reason I remember him in particular um, is because he did something at school he shouldn't have done. And he got put in handcuffs and put into the back of the car. And as he's walking out, right above the, where the handcuffs were, there was that what would Jesus do bracelet. And I remember going, probably not that. Um, and there was this big thing. Well, here's kind of the story behind it. In 1896, there was a pastor named Charles Sheldon, and he wrote a book that was called In His Steps. That book um, sold a lot of copies. Um, more than 30 million um, were, were sold at that time. Um, you, you can't even purchase it now unless it's somebody selling a used book. It's no longer in print. Um, but it led to that phenomenon that became What Would Jesus Do? How many of you guys, just by a show of hands, had a what would Jesus do bracelet? Maybe you had a necklace, right? Probably over half of us in here. It was supposed to be a reminder when you got ready to do bad things that you go, wait a second, Jesus probably wouldn't do that, so I should do it. Or if you're faced with a situation where you're going, man, I, I know I probably should act here, and the, the thought was you'd look at him and be like, you know what, Jesus would do something, so I better do something. Um, and... Can I tell you, it was a phenomenon. It was a cultural phenomenon. There were people that were wearing these bracelets that had never, ever, like, even really know who Jesus was, right? They definitely didn't follow him, and it led to things like the guy at the school who got arrested wearing a what would Jesus do bracelet. Um, but it got me thinking um, about gifts. How many of you guys love to give gifts? Anybody love to give gifts? I love to give gifts. But have you ever given a gift to somebody and they totally just didn't appreciate it as much as you did? Like you went out of your way, you did research, you, you, you shopped, you spent a fortune for them, maybe not, but it was at least a thought that counts. And, and you give it to them, they're like, oh, it's some kind of plant that I don't know how to pronounce. Great, Thanks. And you're going, and you want to look at him and be like, hey, jerk, I spent a lot of time doing this, right? But you don't because you love Jesus, right? But it, it's your inner dialogue. You're like, that's not what Jesus would do. Stop. Um, but isn't it frustrating when you give a gift and they don't acknowledge it the way that you think they should, right? Or maybe what's even worse, maybe you, you got a gift and... and I'm going to tell on us a little bit here. Um, when we got married, uh, we were at one of our wedding showers, and we got three sets of the same thing. The first time we got it, it was like, awesome, this is what we wanted, right? It was cups, right? And, and glasses, nice ones. And, and the second one, everybody laughed about it. Ha, 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 look, they got the same thing. And in my head, I'm going, that's eh, because they didn't check the registry. <sighs> then we got it the third time, and like by this point, I'm fuming. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, how hard is it to go online and look at the registry and see that we already got three of these things? I didn't say that. 
you know, when you're a pastor, you can't say things like that. I just smiled and shook my head. And you know what? I think we ended up giving like one set away. We took a set back. Um, and, but, you know, you give a bad gift or what you think is a good gift and, you know, the people just don't like it. You know, you never know because the next function you're at where there's gift giving, you may see your gift that you gave somebody else being given back. It's true. But imagine how Jesus felt. Right? He stepped out of heaven. The greatest place ever was holy. It was beautiful. And he stepped down into earth where he was tortured. Right? Jesus gave the greatest gift of all. Yet many times we reject it, don't we? Pastor, what are you talking about? I said a prayer 20 years ago. That's good enough. Right? But then what happens with your life? Are you walking it out? Are you walking in that gift that he gave? Right? Because with that gift, you experience forgiveness of sins. Right? You experience life to the full. And not only that, God also gave us the Bible, right? You've got the living word at your fingertips. You've got access to God through prayer. You see, God changes you to have a spiritual purpose. And he gives you the same spirit that was in Christ. Yet many of us, unfortunately, go through our day without Jesus ever even crossing our mind. So what would Jesus undo? So I believe that Jesus would undo spiritual indifference. Listen, that's not new to our generation, is it? Every older generation talks about how the younger generation needs Jesus and, and how they, well, if, it just, if we could just go back to the way it was back in my day, right? And I remember my grandparents saying that. And I remember my parents saying that. And you know what? One day I'm going to be older too, and I'm going to say that. Right? Because it's what we do. But I think every single one of us would acknowledge that, that the generation after us is more spiritually indifferent than we are. See, this generation now that we're living in is what some have referred to as the meh generation. Right? How you doing? Meh. How was work today? Meh, it was all right. Meh. Right? Are you going to go to church today? Meh, who knows? Right? Meh, kind of sounds like a cow. Um. <sighs> but it's that indifference of things. You ever done that to like anybody? Somebody said something and like maybe you even typed it and they're like, hey, how's your day? And you're like, M-E-H. And, and people that know that go, oh, well, it was just kind of one of those, eh, whatever kind of days. It, it is what it is kind of days, right? Anybody here ever had a meh day? Right? We all have. See, in the book of Revelation, Jesus wrote letters to seven churches. And one in particular that he wrote to was kind of a meh city. Um, it was the city of Laodicea. Um, it was a wealthy city. Um, had everything you could imagine. And about 35 years prior to the writing of the book, um, there was a, it was destroyed by an earthquake. And everything was demolished, but they rebuilt everything. There were theaters and there were stadiums. There were lavish public baths. Um, there were shopping centers. So like in your head, I want you to picture like Dubai, 
or, or maybe even Vegas. It, it was that lavish. And so you could just go, and it was the hubbub of the area, and it's where everybody went to go do just about everything. But you see, in Laodicea, they had a major problem, and that was an inadequate water supply. They just didn't have any. And so they had to pipe water in, in from two places, one that was called Colossae and one that was called Hierapolis, which, by the way, just a side note, that sounds like a place where superheroes come from. Um, Hierapolis, you know, that's where Iron Man's from, right? Um, so in, in Colossae, they got cold water. And in Hierapolis, there were hot springs, right? They both had a purpose. The, the, the cold water w- was cool and refreshing. The, the hot water, um, they would soak in it. It was used for medicinal purposes. But by the time the water got to Laodicea, it was dirty, it was tepid, and worst of all, it was lukewarm. Revelation three fifteen to 16 says, I know your deeds. Say with me, I know your deeds. It's interesting that Jesus immediately begins to call out the church because he knows what they're doing. Then he goes on to say that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Uh, the, 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 the Greek there, actually, the, the word there um, talks about vomiting. So, so Jesus wants to vomit this city out of their mouth. Um, here's what he says is you are spiritually stale. You're depressingly detached. Right? And Jesus says, it doesn't just turn, doesn't just break my heart, but it turns my stomach. It makes me want to vomit. And, and can I just tell you, there are very few things in life that make me want to vomit. Right? Baby's poop makes me want to vomit. It does. It does. Other people vomiting makes me want to vomit, right? Certain smells can trigger that nauseousness. And for Jesus to use such language to say that you make me want to vomit, something must be wrong, right? Because you don't vomit unless something's wrong. So over the last 17 years of ministry, um, I have observed some things, and I, I think there are two causes of spiritual indifference that I've observed over the last 17 years. The first one, I believe, is self-sufficiency. Verse 17 says, you say I am rich, and I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You ever ask somebody how they're doing and they say, oh, I'm good, right? Or, hey, how's it going? That's good. How are you today? I'm fine, right? Here's the truth. Every single one of us wants to believe that we're good, right? Nobody wants, when, let's be honest, when somebody goes, hey, how are you? You don't want to go, hey, you know what? Actually, I'm doing terrible. This morning I woke up and I had diarrhea. I was throwing up everywhere. And you know what? I took some Pepto-Bismol, so I'm feeling better. Look, they don't want to know all that, right? If I said that to you when you came you'd be like, Pastor, that's too much information. I need you to just stop. You could have just said good or fine, right? Because let's be honest, we ask that question because we don't really know the person and we don't know how to ask what's going on in their life. Right? But, but I encounter people all the time 
And, and I ask them how they're doing. They say, oh, I'm good, right? Well, they've got their $5 Starbucks, right? They, they've got their iPhone. They've got Amazon Prime. They've got a Snuggie, right? And they're just going to watch some Netflix. He said, you have worldly wealth, but you're spiritually bankrupt. Your lives are full of stuff. You've spent your entire life getting more and more stuff. That new car, that new house, that new boat, that new whatever it is, that new shiny thing. And and you've got all this stuff and you've built it up, but your life is empty of meaning. Second thing that causes spiritual indifference is distractions of the world. Mark 4.19 says, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Right? The distractions of the world. Do you know that your bills can be a distraction of the world? Right? You've got places to be. You've got people to see, wait a second, let me take a selfie. Look how good I look. Oh, that's awesome. Look, selfie, 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 selfie. Look, I'm eating food. Take a selfie. Right? Yeah. We're distracted with it, right? We've got dishes to do. We've got laundry to clean. We've got kids to get to practice. I got to get that oil changed. I got to get the tires rotated. I got to get to the PTA meeting that I just got the text about 20 minutes ago. Right? Here's the thing. Feeling numb isn't the absence of feeling, but the sensation of feeling too much at once. You see, for many of us, we're so distracted by the things of the world that it's led to spiritual indifference, right? And people say things like, oh, I've got just a little bit of Jesus, like Jesus is a condiment you put on your steak, I'll just take a little bit here and a little bit there, right? Just enough to make me feel better, but not so much that I really have to live my life any different. Why? Six reasons, I think. One is that we're more concerned with impressing people than living for God. Timothy said, you're lovers of self. And Jesus said, woe to you when all the people speak well of you. Some of us are so concerned with what other people think and what other people say that we will not do the things we know we need to because of what they may say. Listen, I'm going to give you a newsflash. You're a great person, but not everybody's going to love you. Right? You're an awesome person. And I'm glad you're here. But not everybody's going to like you. And you know what? I'm a pretty great person too. And you know what? Not everybody likes me. What did Jesus say? Woe to you when everybody speaks well of you. Listen, people talk about me a lot. Most of it's not true. Right? And you know what I keep doing? I keep doing what God's told me to do. Why? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what other people say. It matters how obedient I am to God. And so I keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Why? Because God's opinion matters more to me than people's opinions. Now, does it mean that I intentionally offend people? No, that's just foolish and stupid, right? But at the end of the day, I'm going to be faithful to what God has called me to. Second thing I believe is that we're often obsessed with life on earth rather than eternity. 
right? We focus more on what I have over what I'm called to do. Scripture says that, that he who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Remember, we, we've been called to be different. Third thing is we rationalize sin and live without truly fearing God. We rationalize sin and live without truly fearing God. You see, in our culture, we don't believe in sin, so we just give it a prettier name. Right? It's not adultery, it's just an affair. Right? It's not pornography, it's just adult entertainment. And then we say things like, well, I'm not as bad as other people are. I'm not hurting anyone. It's just one thing. Everything else in my life is good. It's just this one area. And so what we say is, well, it's okay for me to be selfish. Right? It, it, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, everybody gossips. I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. I'm only looking at porn. It doesn't really hurt anybody. And so we continue to lie to ourselves, and we continue to mask what our sins are. Four things I believe that, that we believe in Jesus, but we rarely share our faith. The truth of the matter, I, I believe that this is the case because we don't really believe in the gospel. We don't share our faith because we don't believe in the gospel. Because we don't believe that a loving God would send people to a real place called hell. And so because we don't believe that, we don't share that. Listen, if I had the cure for cancer or I had the cure for AIDS and I kept it to myself, would you guys agree that that would be really selfish of me? Yeah? Right? You, you, matter of fact, you would probably even say that I'm evil. You see, the truth is that as Christians, we have the answer to people's spiritual dryness and their spiritual death that they're heading towards. Yet we continue Sunday after Sunday to come sit in a pew, to show up and laugh at the same jokes that all of our coworkers are laughing at, to show up and continue to do the same things we've always done. Why? Because we don't really believe that there's a true hell that God will send people to. Because if you did, you would share. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, then I'll confess you before my Father. But if you deny me before men, then I'll deny you. Fifth thing is that we only turn to God when we need him. Rather than seeking him daily, we seek him when it benefits us. Right? He's a tool that we use when we need him. He's not a God that I fear and I worship. He's a means to an end. Right? You know what I'm talking about. You've prayed these prayers. God, I really need you to come through for me today. You ain't talked to God in six months, and now all of a sudden you need God to come through? We, we treat God like he's this Santa Claus in the sky who we just give our list to, and he's supposed to answer and give us everything we desire. And so we only turn to God when we need him, when, when things are going bad. We don't have a true relationship with him. The sixth thing, I think, is that we're not much different from the world. We're not that much different from the world. We watch the same movies that has the same bad language, those same bad sex scenes that everybody else is watching. Right? We listen to the same music that has explicit lyrics. We've got the same morals. 
right? And, and before long, we end up raising our kids the exact same way. We end up spending our money the same way. And the truth is that the church divorces just as often as those outside of the church. Because we're not really that different from the world. I want to tell you guys a, a, a time in my life where I was spiritually indifferent. Um, I was working on my, my master's degree. Um, working on a, and it was a theological degree, right? And I was doing all this stuff, and I was writing papers, making great grades. And, but the truth is, is I had become spiritually indifferent. I didn't pray as much as I knew I should have. Um, matter of fact, I usually prayed. Um, at that point, I was a youth pastor, and I prayed on Wednesday nights right before it was time to, to go preach. And I'd be like, God, give me something to speak so that I don't look like a fool, right? Or, or I'd pray in front of my kids and be like, God, bless this food that we're about to eat. And, and that was the extent of my spiritual journey at that point. Did I get some great knowledge? Absolutely. But I was indifferent to the things of God. It didn't mean that I didn't love God, but it just meant that I was indifferent, right? We all have people in our lives that we're indifferent towards, don't we? Maybe you're more spiritually mature than I am, but there are people in my life even right now that God has been convicting me because I have been spiritually indifferent towards them. I I honestly couldn't care any less. And can I tell you, that's an issue. Because God cared enough to give his only son. And if they matter that much to God, then they've got to matter to me. I can't any longer sit by and go, well, if they'd have just done this, then I wouldn't be this way. No, wrong answer. I have a responsibility to them, just as you do. Listen, indifference doesn't just break Jesus' heart. It makes him want to vomit. And I don't know about you, but when someone sees me, I don't want their first reaction to be making them gag, right? That's a bad thing. If, when I met my wife, if she would have looked at me like, Ugh. Ugh. there would not have been a first date, right? If every time she looked at me, she's like, it's not you. Uh, you. Do you think I would think it was me? Absolutely. Do you think I would want to go out with her? No, because I made her sick. And so if I really liked her, you know what I would do? I would try and change whatever it was in me that made her gag. Right? If it was because I hadn't showered and I was stinky, I would take a shower and use soap and shampoo. Right? If you've ever had little boys, you know you got to tell them that. It's not enough just to get wet. you got to use soap and shampoo. Go do it again. I got wet. I went swimming. Yeah, but it was in the lake. Colchino, go shower. Use soap. And so why? Because I don't want people's first reaction to me to me would be to upchuck. That's a bad deal. Right? Yet we're okay with Jesus having that feeling towards us. Why? Because we don't really think about it. What if Jesus was a greeter? at MFA this morning. And when you walked in, he had a physical reaction to you walking through the door. And it wasn't how you smelt, it wasn't how you looked, but it was the state of your spiritual condition. Would you make Jesus want to vomit? 
40, walk up, give you a high five, hug your neck, tell you it's so good to see you in his dad's house. So how do we reignite that spiritual fire? How do we reignite being on fire for God, right? How many of you guys remember when you first got saved and, and you were on fire, right? You were telling everybody about what happened and, and you took any opportunity you could to tell people about how good God was. But as you stayed saved, the longer you were saved, the less excited you were about it. Right? If you've ever been in a relationship with, with someone, then you know what I'm talking about, right? When you first start dating, you're like, oh, this is awesome. She's amazing. He's amazing. This, they, they're, they're the best ever. And you tell everybody about it. Girls, you're like, girl, you will not believe who I met. He is awesome. And he smells like heaven. That's what Tina said to all of her friends about me. Um, Right? But you tell everybody why, because you're excited about it. It's this new thing, and there's excitement in the air. But if you've ever noticed someone who's been married like 40, 50 years, most of the time, you know that that husband probably has whoop dog syndrome. You know what I'm talking about? That that husband that walks through, he's just become a bumbling idiot. Right? Why? Because he's allowed life. Notice I said life, not wife. Just he allowed life to beat him down. And he quit doing the things he used to do to woo his wife. So now she just got on his nerves and she burnt his pancakes on purpose. Right? Because she's mad because he's not trying to be romantic anymore. Doesn't matter that they've been married for 40 years. There still needs to be that spark there. Right? And, and all of a sudden, why? Because the newness wears off. Listen, maybe you're in a state in your relationship with your spouse where the newness is worn off. Can I tell you, just because the newness is worn off doesn't mean you need to go trade it in for a newer model. Listen, I drive an older truck. It is definitely not new. It has dents in it. It's got mud that's like permanently embedded into the paint. Does it smell like a new car? No, it smells like nasty, young, like wet boys is what it smells like. And it's gross. But you know what? I don't just go buy a new truck. I could, but I don't think that'd be very wise right now. And so, you know, if I don't want it to stink anymore, you know what I got to do? I got to put some effort into it. I got to clean it up. I got to vacuum it. I got to detail it. I got to put something in there that'll make it smell better. Listen, husbands, your wife may say that she don't like flowers. She does. Just don't spend a fortune on them. Right? Go to Walmart, grab a bouquet of flowers, Take the little wrapper off of it so she doesn't know what it is. Put it in one of them fancy flower things that you guys got when you got married. And stick them in there, put some water in it, and it'll be good. Right? Do the things that you used to do. Why? Because it keeps it fresh and new. You ever seen an old car and you just looked at it and you're like, God, that thing has gone through the ringer, right? Like floorboards are out of it. There's rust everywhere, and you look at it, and you go, you know what? Somebody didn't take care of that car. But yet you see other old cars, antique, classic cars that look pristine. They, they, they go down the road, and you just hear them. They're not speaking in tongues. It's just the way they rumble. Um, and, and so they go down there, and you just hear it, and you go, whoa. Right, and I've reached that stage in my life where, like, every new, every like old car that's classic, I'm like, "Ooh, I need one of those." And my wife's going, "No, you don't. Shut up." 
And, and, and so, why? Somebody took care of it. Listen, your relationships you need to take care of with your spouse, with your children. Listen, can I tell you the thing that scares me the most is that when my kids grow up, they don't want anything to do with me. Can I just tell you, that'd be terrible. And you know what I have to do as a parent? I gotta make sure that I'm involved in their life. I gotta make sure that I'm doing more than just bringing home the paycheck. I gotta be actively involved. Why? Because I want that relationship to last longer than when they'll be in my house. Because the goal is that they'll all move out eventually. Right? And can I tell you, I still want a close relationship with them. But you see, some of us spend more time in our relationship with people than we do with God. And you know, I could give you a list of things that that you could do. Like get in God's word, read his Bible, pray every day, witness to other people, get together in fellowship with other believers. I could tell you to give. I could tell you to come to worship. I I could tell you to turn from your sins and don't do those things anymore. But here's what I know is that if I tell you to do all those things, then you're going to be overwhelmed and you won't do any of them. Right? Because you look at it and you go, Geez, I don't do any of those things. i got to do them all now, right? You remember every, every beginning of the year, everybody goes, I'm going to read the Bible every day this year, and I'm going to start with like 10 chapters a day. You haven't read 10 chapters in the last 20 years. What makes you think you're going to start reading 10 chapters a day? It got quiet. I must have stepped on some toes. Why? Because it gets overwhelming, and then you miss the first day. What happens? So the next day, you're like, all right, I'm going to read 20 today to make up for the 10 that I missed yesterday and the 10 that I got today. Then when you miss that, when you're on that third day, you're just like, you know what? Forget it. God knows I love him. I listen to pastor's messages. He preaches out of the Bible. It'll be fine. Right? And we give up. Why? Because it becomes overwhelming. So today, I want to give you just one thing you can do to reignite that spiritual passion and that spiritual fire, and it's this. Every day, do something that requires faith. Every day, do something that requires faith. So what do you do? Maybe you stand up for something, even though you know that I'm going to be mocked for it. Maybe you give when it's a stretch to give, and and instead you just decide to trust God. Maybe you serve in kids' ministry, even though you want to break from your own kids. Maybe you apologize to someone, right? You forgive them when when they don't deserve you to forgive them. They didn't even ask for it, and you just do it anyways. Maybe you volunteer to pray out loud at one of our small groups, or, or maybe even go to one of our small groups. Maybe you reach out to someone that, that God put on your heart, even though you've been mad at them for six months, or even though they said something about you. Maybe you expose yourself to something that breaks your heart. Maybe you pray for something that's impossible. Maybe you attempt something that would be completely impossible without God. Scripture tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. But it also says that faith without works is dead. Am I saying good works are going to get you into heaven? Nope. But it's that faith in Christ that you're working through that will. Listen, you say you love Jesus, you got to do something to prove it. Right? I love my wife. 
I tell her every day. But can I tell you, that's not enough, right? I can even post it on social media and say, I love my wife. And can I tell you, that don't matter a hill of beans to my wife. Matter of fact, Valentine's Day, like, I didn't post anything. I know. I did get her, I did get her some elote, though. It was a good day. But I didn't post anything. And the next day, I realized it. And so I sent her a text message. We were both on our conferences, and I said, hey, love, I'm sorry that I didn't post anything yesterday on Valentine's Day. I love you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. She goes, I love you, too, but those things don't matter to me at all. Right? Does it mean you should never do that? No, you should. But you know what? If I'm not proving to her that I love her, then it doesn't matter. Well, pastor, I shouldn't have to prove my love, right? I said I love you when we got married, and if anything changed, I'll tell her then. Terrible attitude. Listen, show them. You love your kids? Show them. You love your kids? Discipline them. Listen, love is an action. You want to know how my wife first found out that I loved her? Because we had power team in at our church. You're like, Pastor, that's a weird way to show her that you loved her. So they brought me up on stage the night that her and her friend came. It's not how I loved her, but it's how I showed off for her. They had this stack of bricks, like 15 of them. And they gave me a baseball bat and were like, all right, Pastor Jason, you're going to smash the bricks. Now look, there's a girl here that I like and I got to show off for. So you know, in my head, I'm going, I'm going to smash every single one of these, right? So they put 15 there. They didn't tell me that the most anybody had ever smashed was like seven or eight. And so I, I got back there and man, I'm telling you, I just, ah! Dude, I broke like 13 out of the 15 bricks. It was awesome. I got done. I'm like, yeah, I'm a man. You should go on a date with me. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> but man, I showed off and showed out. And you know what? She was impressed. But it didn't impress her that much. But I felt good about myself. Right? You know what impressed her? That since she was a little girl, she'd been praying for an amazing man of God that had like 35 different qualities that she'd been praying for, and I hit every one. That was what impressed her. Do I still love to flex for a little bit? Yeah. Does she still laugh at me and shake her head? Absolutely. But you see, love, love is something you do. Listen, if you love God, you should be doing something about it. If you love God, you should be serving in your local church. Right? Listen, you can serve without love, but you can't love without serving. If you love God, serve. Serve those around you. Look for opportunities to be Jesus' hands and feet in your everyday normal situations. Listen, this isn't easy, is it? Matter of fact, it's hard to say spiritually engaged to people. 
it's exhausting sometimes, right? Have you ever been helping someone and, and, and by the time you're done, you're just like, go away. I just need some alone time. I'm done, right? You're done peopling. Anybody ever get done peopling sometimes? Right? And it's exhausting. And can I tell you, the lie that you want to believe is that it would be easier to not care. It would be better to not get involved, but can I tell you, it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. Listen, it's better to be hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. I'm going to say that again because somebody needs to hear that this morning. It's better to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. You know what? I've been pastoring for 17 years. And did you know during that 17 years I've been absolutely hurt? I've been talked about. I've been bad-mouthed. I've been all this kind of stuff. But you know what? There's not a day that goes by that I don't absolutely love what I'm doing. Doesn't mean I don't always love the circumstances because sometimes the circumstances are awful, right? But I have a purpose. I've been called and I'm doing what God says. I would rather be hurt having a purpose than to exist without one. Listen, I could just as easily tomorrow resign as pastor of church and go work a job, work my 40, punch out and go home. And can I just tell you, it'd be a lot less stressful, right? But you know what? That's not what God's called me to do. I'd much rather be hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. See, some of you in here need to figure out what your purpose is in your life because you've been going through up to this point and you haven't really discovered your purpose. Can I tell you, your purpose is going to align close to where your passions are. And somebody just said, yes, pastor, I love fishing, so that's my purpose. You know what? Jesus told the disciples who were fishermen, I'm going to make you fishers of men, so maybe it is. Pastor, I love kids. When I see them, they just make my heart fill up with bubbly stuff that I don't understand. Um, But it just, you love kids. And so maybe your purpose is serving and loving on some kids. Can I tell you, the kids in our church, the kids in our community, don't always have great home lives. They don't always have a mom and dad in the picture. They don't always have a loving grandma and grandpa in the picture. And you know what they need? They need that. You want to know why we do kids' ministry on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights? Because there are children in this community that need to know there's somebody that loves them. And so we do it. Maybe that's where your heart is. Maybe you like youth, right? Maybe you like teenagers, even with this, like, attitude junk that they have. You're just like, I love them, right? Maybe that's where it is. Maybe, maybe it's cleaning. Maybe you don't like people at all. But, man, God has gifted you with the ability to clean. Or maybe God's given you incredible computer skills. Whatever it is, can I just tell you, you need to figure out whatever it is that God has gifted you and begin to serve in that capacity and discover your purpose. So what would Jesus undo? Spiritual indifference. Lukewarmness. Verse 19 says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. What did it say? 
I discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. So every day, do something that requires faith. Listen, you need to be more concerned with what God is calling you to than what people think about you. Maybe suddenly you're living for what lasts through eternity rather than for what doesn't. Instead of rationalizing your sin and justifying everything that you're doing, maybe it's confessing, maybe it's becoming holy, maybe it's walking the power that God has given you to walk free of those things. It means that you're bold in the Spirit, right? And you're being so bold that people are amazed at your boldness. One of the things my wife and I do from time to time when we go out to eat, if we feel led, we'll ask our servers, hey, what's going on? What can we pray for you? And we've been out with people, and afterwards people go, what? how did you do that? And I'm like, what do you mean, how did I do that? I just I, I sensed that something was going on, and I asked them. And can I tell you, it, it, it changed some of their lives, because some of those people now ask those same questions, and it, it's being bold, right? Bold regardless of what other people think. Maybe you turn to God in the moment that you need him, which is every day. And you start having this moment-by-moment relationship with Christ. Listen, you are called to be different because you're a follower of Jesus. Verse 17, he called the church of Laodicea. He said, you say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Listen, am am I a follower of Christ? Or am I wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? Maybe you've been living this life and you've never been changed by his love or his grace. Can I tell you, today's the day to open the door and to invite him into your life. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So today, open that gift that God's given you. If you'll bow your heads with me. Today, you'd say, Pastor, I've never accepted Christ. Maybe I've said a prayer before, but I've never really truly followed him. Maybe you've come to church your entire life, but you've never truly given your all to him. You've never truly surrendered. But today you'd say, Pastor, for the first time, I surrender my life and I commit to following Christ from this day forward. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Hands there, hands over here. Anyone else? Hands in the middle here. God, we pray for those that just raise their hands. God, that says that they've never followed you. God, we pray that, God, as they make this commitment to you, God, that they would be steadfast to you. God, that they would walk in faith each and every day. God, that as they walk this life, God, that they would come to trust you more and more each day. God, we thank you for it. Maybe today you would say, Pastor, I've realized 
you know, I, I love Jesus, but there's a lot of stuff in my life. Or maybe I realized that I loved him once, but maybe my, I'm not as passionate for him as I once was. Maybe you've realized that you, like the church in Laodicea, are lukewarm. And today, you'd say, Pastor, I want to be reignited spiritually so that I can be hot and on fire for Jesus. If that's you, just raise your hand right where you are. I see your hands. God, today we ask, God, that you would help us burn for you again. God, that you would set our souls on fire. God, so that Lord, we wouldn't be lukewarm, but God, we'd be hot for you. God, that when people encounter us, God, they know that we're yours. God, they don't have to wonder because we're lukewarm, but God, they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt. God, help us stay tapped into your Holy Spirit. God, we love you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.